0: to be with you. I'm Luke. And yes, today we, the party is coming to an end. I feel like I got to give you that warning. Like with my kids, when I'm at a party with them, I got to tell them, you oh, hey, five more minutes and we're going to leave. All right. Party is almost over. But don't worry. Another party is starting next week. In fact, you could even say it's going to be unleashed. Okay. Watch this video. <laughs>
1: been hanging out at the racetrack and I love being around these horses. They're they're so beautiful. They're they're huge and stately, a thousand pounds of rippling muscle, right? But as calm and serene as they are in the stable, I'll tell you, on race day it's a whole nother matter because they put them in these starting gates and, and they're just like so excited, ready to burst out of the gate that their nostrils are flaring, their eyeballs are bulging, they are literally chomping at the bit. And then they opened the gates. They were let loose. They were finally set free to run the way they were meant to run. run, run imagine if your life was totally unleashed. If God could unleash all the horsepower of mountains, imagine what God could do.
0: All right, that's going to be, that's a big deal, all right, if you didn't get that already. So be here on the weekends. Make the most of this time. We're, we're trying to catch a vision, a big vision of what God is, has next for our church, and so you got to be here to do that. And then go further, maybe you've heard this, you've got one of these sheets, we're talking a lot about groups, as we always do, but now more important than ever to really soak up, Whatever God, whatever good stuff God wants to unleash in this moment, uh, we want to be ready for that, not left behind in the gate. So one way to do that is get in a group. This sheet is helpful for that. Turn it in at the desk, and uh, we'll get going next week. More on that ahead. But today, we're still learning Greek. All right, still learning Greek, not so that we can be scholars, but so that we can figure out what life with God is like. If God had a fraternity, what would it be like? And, and would I want to be a part of it? What would be distinctive about it? What would draw me in? Would I, would I pledge this fraternity, this Kappa Delta Pi fraternity? So we got these letters, we got the shirts, you might have one. Um, first we start talking about the, the K, the Kappa, which was the first letter in the word. Koinonia, four of you remember. Koinonia. Well, with us four, that means we have this deep community, this rich uh, fellowship. Uh, We get to share in this experience where we have a common purpose. We're connected to God and connected to one another. These relationships really matter to us. Together we have koinonia. And then uh, this triangle looking one is a D delta, which begins the word doulas, all right, which means slave or servant. So unlike some fraternities that would position themselves among the elites and use that as a, a draw for prospective members, we're saying, no, no, we will take the marker of slave, servant, because that's what our Lord, he, he took on that. He's our master, but we willingly entrust ourselves to him. Um, he has proven himself, and we're saying we want to mark our lives in that way too, being servants. And then uh, we finish today with this letter, which, do you know what this letter is? Pie, we finish with pie. It's a good way to finish, right? Finishing with pie, always with apple pie and ice cream or something. Uh, not that kind of pie, not 3.14 kind of pie, but P, pie, in the first, the first letter in the word, proskuneo. Can you say that? Proskuneo, all right? We're going to figure out what that word means today and why, if you only had three letters to define what life in God's fraternity is like, why this would be on the door of God's frat. Uh, let's start with this though. Some of you know that the main reason I have this job is because I'm from Minnesota and, uh, and I like the Vikings and I grew up uh, there. My aunt and uncle live in Mankato, which is where the Vikings would have their training camp. Maybe you've, maybe you've been to the Ravens training camp or something. If you, if you have, you know, you get pretty close to the players and you can get some autographs and get pictures and and those kind of things. So late eighties, I'm a little squirt growing up and my favorite player is Anthony Carter. Star receiver for the Vikings, number 81, and I, I'm very much into football. I have an inordinate amount of knowledge for a you know eight-year-old kid. Just loving it, pretending I'm Anthony Carter in the backyard. Just very engrossed. Like some of you people who are wear the other color purple when you come to church, right? Uh, so after practice one day, the players are trickling off the field, and they got to make their walk back to the locker room, which is actually some distance. And that was a chance you had to kind of go out get some autographs. And I was out there in the mix. And I had, I had gotten a few good autographs, Joey Browner and Leo Lewis. And then I, then I noticed a player walking all by himself. And he had uh, his jersey kind of balled up over his shoulder pads up on top of his helmet, which he was still wearing. And, and he's walking. No, nobody's around him. And I'm look, he's walking away from me. I'm looking at his backside. But I'm telling you, the incognito act was not fooling this 8-year-old boy. Okay, that's Anthony Carter. Mom, that's Anthony Carter, and yes, I did catch up to him and get, get his, you know, heart's just pounding and get get his autograph like like I like I stole something and nobody else knew except me. I knew I got his autograph. That was my first time really having an encounter like that with someone that I. That I really uh respected. You you've had moments like that probably. You get to meet this person, they have some degree of fame, the notoriety, and you revere them and admire them, and you get to have this encounter. Sometimes we pursue those things or they're staged, like we go to the book signing, or we go to the event where they're the keynote speaker, or uh we get the backstage passers or the front row seats and we get to meet this person. The most the more interesting ones are I think though are when they're not planned. Like have you ever been in a public place and then uh, you kind of notice there's this gradual buzz that's flittering around the room as more and more people begin to recognize Ben Kacharis just walked in the room. <laughs> and you're like, where? I don't see him. It's like, oh, there he is. Oh, I see no. him. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, that, that's, it might be, uh, you're like, oh, Kevin Spacey's filming House of Cards right around the corner. Joe Flacco is in this restaurant. Are you telling your friend? It's like next thing I know, I'm in the elevator with Ben Carson. One direction is walking in this direction. And it's amazing how we respond in those those moments. You know, we scream and jump and film, right? And press in close and selfies and here, right on my shirt, right on my shirt. Can I just shake your hand? You are such an inspiration. I love your movies. That book you wrote was awesome. Great game the other day, right? That's what we do. That's how we respond in those powerful moments of recognition. That we, this person who we think is awesome is now coming our way, is now sharing our space. When they bring all of their awesomeness close enough for us to touch, we respond with proskuneo. If you've ever heard someone's fame described in such a way that you might say, people kiss the ground they walk on. That's, that's the idea behind proskuneo. It literally means to, to kiss toward, like if I were to to reach down and kiss the hand of a dignitary, or even bow down and get low on their presence. That's proskuneo. Those are the connotations that it would have had in the world in which the Bible was written. And it wasn't just to show respect for a high-ranking person. It also was the word that described how you would demonstrate reverence for the gods. Proskuneo, one of the things that it means is to bow low in worship. Worship. Proskuneo. The, proskuneo is the Greek word that best describes what we mean when we say worship, when we talk about our worship of God. Now, worship is probably the most church-sounding word of the three. Right? This thing that we're doing right now, we describe this as worship. This is a worship service. And if you've been here, you, you probably would agree that that worship happens here. This is a place where we show reverence for God, where we are struck with awe, where we honor Him for His greatness, where we even bow in His presence. On the other hand, if you're like me, you probably have wondered at times, am I doing it right? This thing, am I really worshiping while I'm here? Is here the only place that I can worship? Does worship just mean singing? Could it not mean singing? Some of us are wondering. Does worship just describe this weekly ritual that church people do? Is it a feeling? Is it some kind of emotional experience? Is that how I know that I'm worshiping? Because I don't know Greek. I might say I barely know English. How, how do I get a handle on this word, worship? And what does it have to do with me and this church that I showed up at today and this God that everybody keeps talking about? Well, the Bible helps us here. We often go to the scriptures to uh, find some answers to questions that we have. It is very helpful in the story that it tells. And like any story, it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And I think that if we glean from some of the high points at the beginning, middle, and end, we might walk away with a better understanding of worship and why it marks the door of God's fraternity and more importantly, why it marks the life of those who would be members of the fraternity. So, uh, Moses, he's in the Bible, right? Right? Yeah. (laughs) Where is he at? He's kind of, yeah, in the beginning, right? He he built the big boat, didn't he? No? No, that was Noah. Okay, Moses has a well-documented career, starts in, in the book of Exodus, and... He, uh he's a very significant leader for God's people. Things really started to take off for him one day when he was out tending the flock and he saw a bush that was on fire. It really got his attention when a voice from within the bush called him by name. The voice introduced himself by saying, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your ancestors, Moses, your people. You know them. You've heard the stories of of what I've done, and how I've been active in history, laying the foundations of the earth, giving breath to humankind, calling your father, your ancestor, Abraham, and in charging him with being a blessing to the entire earth. You know the story, Moses. You're part of it, and I am the author. But here's the thing. Uh, my people... The Israelites, your people, they're not living out the purpose that I have intended for them. They're now numbering thousands upon thousands, but they're languishing in slavery in Egypt. And I want to use you, Moses, to lead them out of that oppression and to take them to the land that I have promised. That's a powerful shrub, right? Now, it took some convincing for Moses to go along with that plan, but eventually he did. And he went to Egypt and he reconnected with his people, the Israelites. And at one point he called all of the leaders together and he told them everything that God had said to him, this rescue mission that was already being put in motion. And when the people heard about that, the Bible says in Exodus 4, when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and he had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. Proskuneo. It was a powerful moment of recognition that the Lord, the God whom they knew, or at least who they thought they did, they weren't sure if maybe He had walked out on them or forgotten about them. They knew God had done tons of awesome things in the past, but nothing about their present was what they wanted it to be. And so they're, they're struggling to survive, no hope of getting out of the situation that they're in, looking for an answer. And that's when they realize God cares God is near. Through Moses' announcement of good news, they realize the creator of the whole world has now come close enough to touch. He has heard our cries, and he is going to do something about it. You know, I've had times like that, and probably uh, you have too. I hope you have. None of us probably been in slavery for hundreds of years, but we have had moments where we're stuck in something something is is pressing itself down on us seasons of misery and illness that lacks, lasts last too long periods of doubt loneliness grief isolation some kind of darkness and we're powerless to do anything about it not sure how we're going to get out of it when suddenly we begin to realize god cares and god is near As if there is a buzz gradually developing in our spirit leading to a powerful moment of recognition that God in all of his awesomeness and power and grace and strength has come close enough to touch. To heal our pain, to answer our prayer, to give strength for the journey to settle our soul. And when you silently thank him for that in private, that's proskuneo. When you loudly praise Him for that in public, that's proskuneo. When you just look heavenward and shake your head to give credit where credit is due, that's proskuneo. When you call your friends together and just tell the story of what God's done in your life, you marvel at God's grace, that's proskuneo. And if you have a story like that to tell and you know God is awesome and the preacher just says, like I'm saying right now, if you want to just in the middle of a worship service, clap your hands or say hallelujah, because you know that, then you can do it, like you can do it right now. Because worship is just a response. It it just bubbles, you encounter God's awesomeness, and you respond. Worship is a reverent response to God's awesomeness. might be the simplest way to say it. Now, your story is not over, and for Moses and his people, their story was not over yet. God's rescue plan had just begun. And it was going to continue in spite of some some significant opposition from the Egyptians, who had a lot to lose if the Israelites were to escape from under their control. This is their labor force, right? So they have a stubborn grip that God gradually loosens, and then he breaks it, ultimately, when he follows through on his plan to kill every firstborn Egyptian male if they continue to stand in God's way. So Moses told all of the people, the Israelites, how it was going to go down, And everyone was instructed to mark their identity as God's people through uh, killing a lamb and offering the blood of that sacrifice, spreading it on their doorframe. Because that night God had said, I'm going to pass through Egypt and I will strike down the firstborn, both people and animals. I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So this was going to be their moment. This was the time. Hundreds of years of slavery were now coming to an end. And God doesn't want them to forget it. Don't forget this moment. So he gives them instructions on how they're supposed to memorialize this event. There's a ceremony described there in the pages of Exodus. And then after he describes it, he had Moses tell the people, when you enter the land that the Lord is going to give you, just like he promised, observe the ceremony that we've described. And when your children ask you, well, what does this ceremony mean? Well, then you tell them. You say it's the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. He passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt, and he spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. And then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded. Now notice some things from this uh, part of the story, the beginning of our Bible. The 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 first is there is a monster Jesus connection here. Even though it's a story at the beginning of the Bible, the very strong Jesus connection. If you've ever heard Jesus described as a sacrificial lamb, or, or when we make a claim like we do every week at communion that Jesus' death means our salvation, the backdrop to that is this story when the, the sacrificial lamb and the blood of the lamb marking the identity of God's people meant their salvation. The God who rescued his people in Exodus is, has again rescued his people, this time not through the blood of a sacrificial lamb, but through the blood of his son Jesus, who offered himself as a sacrifice for us once and for all. Some of us know that story. Uh, but, but for all of us, it's good to know our worship is grounded in the story of what God has done in Christ. The more that you worship with us, the more you're going to get caught up in that story. Now next, catch this. right? In Exodus, what does God do? He, he institutionalizes the proskuneo of the people. Right? It becomes ceremonialized. Now can you worship? Can you do proskuneo and show reverence for God in all kinds of different ways at any different time? Well, Sure. Sure you can, but there is something important about keeping this ceremony and about rehearsing it over and over again. Is it going to lose its power if it becomes ritualized? No, keep the ritual, God says. Make it a habit, teach it to your children, retell the story. Don't ever forget when God brought all of his awesomeness and power and grace and invaded your world to redeem what no one else could. Put it on the calendar, make it a priority that's exactly what these Old Testament uh, people did. And it's the same thing that the New Testament church did in response to how God acted in Jesus. Their proskuneo, yeah, it was spontaneous. It spilled over into all different areas of their lives, but it was also ritualized. It was a habit. Proskuneo was a habit. It was on the calendar. It was regular. It was something they organized their lives around. And the writer to the Hebrews says, don't give up on the habit. Don't, don't forsake the gathering together of God's people, as some, who have, some are doing. So a preacher who tells you, make it a priority to go to church every weekend, and not doing it to make you feel guilty. They have good reason for saying that. They're saying, don't lose touch with reality. Don't lose sight of what God has done and what God is doing in our midst. One more observation from right here about Proskuneo. It says, the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded. Worship... Proskuneo is connected to obedience. Recognizing God's awesomeness is connected to doing what God commands. Now, I don't always make that connection. In fact, sometimes it seems like life would be easier if I could just keep worship in the box. I, I, I can do the ceremony. I can bow and reverence when I'm in God's house, but then when I leave, i just kind of rather go live how I want to. And yes, I could do that, and you could do that, and we could reap whatever results come from that. It's just that doing that would mean we're turning our backs on God's fraternity. I mean, last week we talked about willingly becoming a doulos of God. And there's no way you would do that, become a servant of that master, unless you trusted the master. I mean, you're the one pledging this fraternity. You've got you to figure that out. If you're going to buy the shirt, if you're going to sign on, you've got to know what you're getting, getting yourself into, right? And the good news is, it's not hidden from any of us. There's no secret here. The history is there. This rescuing, compassionate, powerful God who showed up in the pages of the Scripture is still calling all of us together. His resume is here. His references are all around you. His resume is there. (laughs) And no matter how you treat it, the point is, if what that says and what His references say prove that He is who He says He is, well, then the proskuneo He receives in here should be reflected out there. As members of God's fraternity, we're not just members here, we're members out there. And as members out there, we, we watch our tongue as God commands. We speak and type only what is useful for building others up. Treat your spouse like God commands to so treat your spouse. Forgive as God forgave. Honor your father and mother like God commands. Act justly, show mercy, care for the poor, pray for your enemies as God commands. Be out there whom you're instructed to be in here. And when, when you do that, when you let daily decisions be a matter of proskuneo to God, actions done out of reverence for God's authority, when you respond to God's awesomeness by listening to and obeying His Word, well, then proskuneo doesn't just happen. Here, proskuneo can happen in all different areas of your life. So how will you worship when you leave today? You may say, I'm still trying to figure out how to worship in here, and that's fine. But how will worship play out in the rest of your life? How do you need to act out of reverence in what you think and act and work and pray? How do those things need to be done out of reverence for the God who made you and saved you? You know, one of the most remarkable acts of reverence is uh, recorded right in the middle of the Bible. And it's a very well-known thing, like the Exodus. Probably a lot of people have known about that, whether inside or outside of the fraternity. Well, everybody knows about this part of the story. It's when some people from the East are introduced. Now, not East like us, like Balmer, you know. But no, we're talking Far East, right? The Magi, the, the wise men, the kind of the a standard part of what we know as the Christmas story. And I don't know if we catch what they're doing in that story, but they certainly knew what their purpose was. And they traveled across borders and deserts and countrysides for days and nights. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked, Where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. And that's exactly what they did. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, if I got a box of gold in my hand, uh, and I'm there, there's a lot I could do with that, probably. There's a lot I could gain with that. Now, if, I, if I throw that box of gold down on a table in front of someone, I, mean, I don't know how much it is, but it's gold. It's worth something. They might give me a boat in response. If I played it right, I could probably parlay that gold into a high-ranking position or exchange it for a large acreage of land and several head of cattle and sheep. I could even buy me some slaves to serve me and take care of my estate. I mean, I would imagine if I were a wise man, I could could do all of that with that box of gold. And that's how you know that when a person treks cross-country with a box of gold, frankincense, and myrrh to boot and lays that all before Jesus... You know that's worship. And when we take things that are, that are of value, money that could be invested in the market or traded for something shiny or held on to for security, and we take that and place it before the Lord, well, we know that's worship. Every week we make the point that offering is a matter of worship. There may not be a better expression of reverence than taking the money, which I know we all value, and offering it to the Lord. Worship Worship involves sacrifice. It's interesting, when you think about uh, generosity, service, worship, they're all kind of wrapped up together. Because to do any of those things, it means that you take something of value to you your time, your personal preference, your stuff, your agenda, all things that if you're just operating according to your defaults, you would organize those things around you to build you up, to advance you forward in life. But because of those powerful moments of recognition that someone else is worthy of those things, you sacrifice what could be spent on you and offer it in reverence to someone else. And when you do that, It's worship, cooking a meal for someone, giving a ride to someone, serving as a volunteer, sponsoring a child, honoring others out of your reverence for God. Now, all of that is countercultural and counterintuitive, and that's why most of the world doesn't make a habit of doing those things and why none of us do it naturally. It's only when you join the fraternity that you're able to shift off of those self-serving defaults. It's only when you're in koinonia with a bunch of people who have made themselves a loss of God that you can actually start to experience the joy and the life that comes from sacrificial proskuneo to God. Look, proskuneo has become the norm in the fraternity because ultimately the fraternity is convinced that, that one day That's going to be all that's left. We know how the story ends. And we'll end our talking about proskuneo with this today. When you think about the end of the Bible, a lot of people are frightened and confused by it. It's the book of Revelation. And I think that's largely because of uh, just a superficial knowledge of what it contains. But if you would dare enter into its message, one of the things that you would find is that it's full of proskuneo. It was written in the first century A.D., Written into a world where seemingly most everybody was living according to their self-serving defaults. And the fraternity was under attack, struggling to survive in a very hostile environment. So God sends a message, a much-needed message, one of hope and truth. And he delivers it through a man named John. Now John happens to be a prisoner, exiled on an island. So everything about John's surroundings tells him God has no authority in this place. God has no power to do anything about this predicament that he's in. This is a place where the kings are the ones who are are elevated, where people bow to them and do their bidding. John's subjugation is substantial proof that the human powers that have venerated themselves do not have to answer to any higher authority. That's the story being told. It's the same story that would have been in the minds of an Israelite in Egypt a Jew in Auschwitz, an Afghani refugee today, a child struggling to survive invisibly in slavery. The same story that probably plays in all of our minds when on top of everything else that we're dealing with and we look around and maybe we just conclude the world's going to hell in a handbasket. That's not the story that Revelation tells. It was written to pull back the curtain and to say I know it looks like evil is winning, but let me show you what's really going on. The God who laid the foundation of the earth is still on the throne, and He will always be. No earthly power is a threat to His reign. In fact, the time is coming when the balance of power will shift once and for always. And all of those who have puffed themselves up on the proskuneo of others, the rug will be pulled out from underneath them, and they will be bowing with everyone else in all of creation, giving praise to whom it is due. There's going to be a time when worship is all that's left. You listen to John when he says, I looked, there was a door standing open in heaven. And someone invited me to come in. Come up here and I'll show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit standing. And there was a throne and someone was on it. He was brilliant, magnificent, like Jasper and Ruby. Surrounding the throne were 24 elders dressed in white and crowns of gold on their head. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures. And day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then I saw in the right hand of him who sits on the throne, there was a scroll. God's purpose is bound up in a scroll, but it was sealed, with seven seals. And the voice of an angel yelled loudly across the heavens, Who can open the scroll? Who is worthy to break its seals? And then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each of them had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of burning incense, which was the prayers of God's fraternity. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation." And then I looked and I saw angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands upon ten thousands. And then I looked and I saw every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders bow down and worship. If you're going to be a member of this fraternity, it simply means that you bow down and worship now. You stand up and sing now. You offer your life the best of what you have in reverence for God now because you know that one day... That's ultimately all that matters, the only thing left to do. The time is coming when we won't be all geeked out because Ray Lewis is in the booth next to us. No, he's going to be down on his knees doing the same thing that we're all doing, giving praise to him at his due. And so that informs how we live today. It gives us hope that belonging to this fraternity is worth it, no matter the struggle. And it shapes the way we look at things like wealth and status and fame. These things that we're so tempted to, to revere and to spend our lives pursuing. I think when we understand Prosconeo, one of the things it does is just help us look at those things less. Because we have been captured by those powerful moments of recognition that God is the only one worthy of worship. That's what this fraternity believes. That's why we keep this habit, regularly responding together to God's awesomeness, keeping at the center Christ and His sacrifice for us all, and living lives of obedience and sacrifice, lives lived in reverence to God. That's proskuneo. Let's pray. God, thank you for uh, what you have done among us, what you have shown us. All of your awesomeness and glory and honor and power, you have shared that with us. You have indeed come close enough for us to touch. And as people who have uh, experienced that, may we just be able to respond freely. May nothing hinder our response of worship and praise. So, God, be be honored in this place. Receive all honor and power and glory and strength. May our worship today be a reflection of what we'll be doing in heaven. And may our lives out there in the places that we will go reflect a reverence and admiration of you. Thank you for meeting us here. Receive our praise. Receive our worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.